From the Film Society Blinken Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week we're sharing a conversation with the people behind the new documentary, Voyeur, which is now on Netflix. The film tells the unsettling story of Gerald Foos, who purchased a motel in Colorado in the 1960s and furnished the rooms with lubered vents that allowed him to spy on his guests, and of writer Gay Talese's controversial journey to write a book on the subject after three decades of preparation. Boyer had its world premiere at the 55th New York Film Festival, and directors Miles Kane and Josh Corey joined Gay Talese on stage after the screening for a Q&A. Let's go to that now. begin by talking about the moment in the film that for me is the most fascinating moment in a film of many fascinating moments and that's the confrontation um, in the film. Uh, I wonder how um, it feels to, okay, for you to have seen, when you saw the film as a finished product for the first time, um, how you felt about it particularly in relation to that scene and the inclusion of it. It's a very obviously honest film. And I gave to Miles Kane and his colleagues access to me, as so many people have given to me access to them. There's much about this film that's embarrassing, but there's much about <clears throat> There's much about the people that I've written about that are embarrassing. I, I, I've specialized, I think, from the time I was a young reporter at 25, <clears throat> trying to write about people that were disreputable. I think from Thy Neighbor's Wife that was mentioned, the gangsters I wrote about, the pornographers that I wrote about, the obscure people that I wrote about my first book, called the New Yorker Serendipity <clears throat> was writing about people who, were I not to write about them, would not have been written about. This voyeur is just a typical character, perverted, no doubt, certainly not celebrated, not admirable, not the sort of person who would ever get on the Charlie Rose show. Charlie Rose is wonderful people, intelligent people, successful people, admirable people. I go to the reverse. Wolf says, the right stuff, I read about the wrong stuff. This is the wrong stuff. This is my world, wrong stuff people. And, um, and yet, there is, in this, in this world that we live in, today as well as when I was young, <clears throat> so many stories of so many surprising, obscure people. When we saw in this film tonight, the rifles this guy had. And I was thinking, this guy could be, not that he had suggested that he's certain something murderous about him, but this kind of obscure character that people don't know very much about because he lives in the shadows, could have been that guy in Las Vegas. The guy in Las Vegas, so far as that we know, we don't know much about him. His girlfriend doesn't know anything. He had all those rifles, how'd they get in there? And he struggles people, we don't know why. 
And this guy, the lawyer, I'm not saying he's potentially a murderer, but he's potentially a mysterious guy is this guy that we don't know anything about in the Las Vegas story. Well, these people who are unreported upon, that are not given access to Miles and his people or me as a reporter, are mysterious. We live in the world of nonfiction. Netflix deals with biographies of real people, not made up people, real people. But real people are so mysterious. So I thought you two people and others that worked with you really caught a sense of the confusion and the complexity of human nature. This guy is just one of our vast character, a vast chorus of characters, assembly of characters that are so, so unknown in terms of what we know and are so typical of obscure people that every day we come to see them, but we don't know them. Anyway, I think you did a terrific job, both of you. Thank you. So, Miles and Josh, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you about how you feel that your point of view as filmmakers converges and diverges from Gay's point of view as a writer. Well, I think going back to your question about the, the confrontation, uh, which is obviously sort of a complex and confusing scene where we're having the journalist and the subject can talk to each other, confront each other, and we get involved and, and Gay raises these questions of, you know, who's in charge, who's, who's the reporter here, but he, he makes, says that line, which, which always gets a laugh, where he says, these guys aren't credible journalists, they're only cameramen. And I think it always gets a laugh, not because it isn't true, I, I think maybe you're using the wrong word, cameraman, but there, there is a distinction that I think he was trying to get at, which was there's journalists and there's documentary filmmakers, and there is a difference in the form and the approach, um, so, and, and, and even just in the format of film versus the written word, I think there's, there's very different approaches and strengths and weaknesses to both, both formats. And so I think Gay was sort of hitting on something there that, that we've certainly thought about, um, about how we wanted to. Um, but, but at the same time, I will just say, I've talked with Gay about this a little bit, but his style of writing about new, journalis new journalism style, of being a, a subjective character and thinking of stories in, in terms of scenes and visuals, it seems very inspired by cinema in some ways. I think a lot of the new journalism writing. And I always was kind of shocked by the similarities I, I felt between Gay's style of writing, where it's, it's sort of favoring the truth over exact, not exact facts, it doesn't mean you don't want the facts, but favoring truth and emotion as the leading narrative over, over just reportage, a newspaper, A, B, and C. And, we can relate a lot to that as filmmakers because that's, we approach our films as character-driven stories and we'll much sooner go for something that feels right, even if all the, we don't maybe use the whole quote, we use just the part that evokes the idea. And, and our goal is to sort of evoke the truth through, through a lot of manipulation. And that's a whole many, other- As many documentary filmmakers do, and that's yeah. the, the new, you know, it's not 
radically new, but I mean, the past 10 or 15 years is you've seen a transformation in documentary cinema, and that's part of it. You know, it's favoring story over, you know, every, every line, line of fact. And Gay, Gay has always talked about how he starts, starts his stories with a scene, and I always related a lot to you talking about yourself as a visual person, and, and um, so I do, th I do think there's a lot of similarities, actually, specifically between us. I, I would say there's this uh, difference between journalism and documentary filmmaking, which is a whole other discussion, but, but there, is a, there are a lot of differences in, in approach and, and format. Well, the film embodies them and addresses them in a really you know, powerful way, and that begs the question, before we go to the audience for questions, at what point did you guys decide on the device of the recreation? So we knew that we we knew that we needed to the miniatures and the, and yes, the recreation. The so we knew that we yes. needed to tell some of these stories that happened in the past. And, yes. Um, we had a great team, um, and one of our executive producers, uh, Jeremiah Zagar, had, had, we were talking about different different techniques and, and how to how to represent things in the past, and and and, and obviously recreations come up a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So we although we did utilize some of them, we wanted to use this miniature motel motif yes. as an as a way to to not only illustrate some of the stories that happened in the past, but also kind of, uh, kind of, emphasize this god complex that Gerald Foose had right. with his motel staging scenes and kind of manipulating characters below. Mm -hmm. And we thought that that worked really well, both as a device but also as a metaphor for what was happening. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it was it was in response to I you know the critique that seems to be growing about a lot of reenactments is. Uh, are are they doing something other than just showing what you're here? Are they visual wallpaper, or yeah. do they have their own deeper significance? And that's like Josh said, the, yeah. the miniatures. One were kind of a creative way to skirt around the obvious, you know, narrative retelling, and and thematically it felt it felt right in terms of not only the the god complex, the Gerald's dollhouse of of wonders, but but also being able to play with sort of keeping the audience guessing what scale are we in now? Is it real? Is it not? Uh, can you think of Motel as real and, and then suddenly, oh, it's a miniature. And this element that obviously comes up later about fact versus fiction and, and sort of the blurred lines, especially with, with, with Gerald's approach to his whole legacy. Um, yes. we, worked, is, yeah. we worked really hard too to make the two, the two, to, to marry the two visuals to marry very well. I mean, there's there's scenes in the film where you cut, we cut literally from miniatures to the actual motel, and yeah. it feels, I mean, hopefully it feels relatively seamless. seamless but yeah. It does feel seamless. <laughs> Just a viewer. I can, and and the, that. yeah, the, the one other, the reenactments we specifically decided, it's it's one angle, it's a POV, it's, yeah. it's what Gerald sees, and that camera does nothing else. It, it, when you see people, it's through the eyes of the voyeur. Yes. And even with that, we tried to, at the end, justify the use of that, sort of bring it back as another layer of when they look up and sort of expose you and, and Gerald and, and look, break the fourth wall. That was sort of an essential piece for us to kind of justify to ourselves at least the, the, the significance of, of using these different elements. Yes. One thing I'd like to um, add before this is over that I that I wrote about in the book, what is relevant about his, about Gerald Foose <coughs> observing reality, tedious as it is, 
Sometimes in his observations, he writes about his motel was not far from the military hospital. And he writes about watching <clears throat> veterans from, in this case, the Vietnam War, injured, some without limbs, coming to the motel with their wives or girlfriends, <clears throat> and in the misshapen or injured condition, trying to make love. And in the, I, this is dealt with, of course, because so much that's, that is part of his chronicle that is indisputably true is not something you could really recreate. But what I, one of the things I take with me as a reporter is what he got as an observer, reporter in his own head, of the tragedy of war that isn't in a Ken Burns movie about the Vietnam War, that isn't in any novel that I read about war, but about injured people ruined by war trying to make love. How difficult it is, and you see, whether we're talking about Vietnam or Iraq or Afghanistan, this guy is up there watching, watching men, disjointed, limbless men, angling and awkwardly trying to make love, and you see how awful war is to the human body and how sad it is to see people trying to make love. And you see the Westmorelands of the world or the Johnsons of the world or today the Trumps of the world sending troops here and there. But what this voyeur was seeing, something I never, in all my years as a reporter, I never thought about it, about watching in the privacy of, in his motel, but it could be a bedroom that we never see. What war is like to those who survive but not without injury survive it? It's really something that's not relevant perhaps to what we're talking about, but something I carried away from this experience, getting to know the voyeur and through him getting to see visually or his remember, remembrance of what he himself saw. I, that's one thing I carry with me. I hope it's not too impertinent. Does anyone have any questions? Yes. Yeah, has Gerald Foos seen this film and what are um, his thoughts? So, so uh, Miles, Trisha, and I, um, Trisha Barkman's our producer, uh, Trisha Corey. Trisha Corey. <laughs> <laughs> they got married. They got married. Um, <laughs> Uh, but we showed Gerald this, this past weekend. We flew up to Denver, Colorado, and, and, and got a cinema. And Anita and Gerald, and Gerald's son, who's not in the film, but was there also. And they watched it. And Gerald, I mean, they really liked it. And they laughed. And I think they felt at times it was uncomfortable, which we completely understand. But all in all, I feel like that was, it, it was, they, they, they really liked it. They thought it was funny and entertaining, and, 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 and they thought it was, and they were saying it was professionally done. I mean, but it, whatever. I mean, I was like, thank you, Gerald. <laughs> but, but regardless, it was nice. To, it was just yeah, nice yeah. that they, they, they were able to see it, and we were there with them, yeah. and that they responded positively. I mean, yeah, that, that's important to us always is 
like I said, we, we've always made sort of character-driven films and um, are kind of, I think, you know, most consistent goal is to treat our characters with respect and make a film that can maybe be viewed very differently by different audiences and, and by the subjects themselves, but that uh, each subject will see themselves in it and sort of and, and approve of it or respect it on some level. And, and that was always our goal in, in telling Gay's story and, and as a result, uh, Gerald's story too, the way it ended up. But also it's not, I mean, this is, and this was important from us in the beginning, it's, it, this isn't a fluff piece, you know, this isn't as Gay says in the it film, certainly Gerald, isn't. this isn't a Valentine, um, mm -hmm. and, 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 and it, we just tried our best to be as honest as we could and as truthful to the process as we could mm -hmm. and, and let the film sort of speak for itself. And, yeah. and that's why it's so important. And we, we showed Gay, we had a private screening with Gay and, this, and some of his family members. And, and it was just, it's important to us and we were just hoping that they liked it and responded yeah. to it positively. And that's something that filmmakers should take seriously. You know, you have to you have to have that part of the process. And if you don't feel comfortable showing them, then you've probably done something wrong. You did the same thing <clears throat> to Gerald Foose that I did to Gerald Foose and to everybody else from Frank Sinatra to I mean all the people I've written about <clears throat> in the sixty years of publishing. I never show them. The editor sees what I write, not the people that I'm writing about. But still um, I, I do worry about how the subject is going to feel after they, they see published what I've written. I also, this film, and thank you for this, they, you see that I don't lose contact with them, and, and that's true the mafia people I wrote about, and thy neighbors in honor thy father, or the bridge builders I wrote about, in the building of the Verrazano Bridge back in 1960, people I write about, I still keep in touch with them. And sometimes, even though I publish something, I then 10 years, 20 years later, go back and maybe do an update. I've done that four times in, in, in four books I can think of. The story never ends. Now the voyeur is, of course it's over, but the voyeur story is not unlike so many of the stories that I, I found gratifying to write about because I feel that whatever I gain in insight and whatever I've done in illuminating these people's lives, this obscure man, the shadows of the, of the attic, are stories that were not for my curiosity, matching the voyeur's curiosity bringing into the realm of reality, into the realm of reportage and documentary filmmaking, people that we otherwise, for better or worse, would know nothing about. So we're illuminating, we're part of, we're part of a, a searchlight into the shadows. And it's very gratifying to be that kind of fact gatherer and observer. And, and as I say in the film, we're all voyeurs. I mean, I don't think you're all gonna agree with me, but. I know in journalism I do, there is certainly a voyeuristic in any, whether you're Maureen Dowd or whether you're, whether you're Frank Bruni or whoever you are, there is that kind of a penetrating mentality of wanting to know about other people in ways that is not always 
very correct, and very generous. It's one of the reasons so many people are drawn to documentary. I mean, you're we're being voyeurs for the characters on the screen for 90 minutes, and, and one of the reasons reality television is so popular, although that's not real, that's not really reality, but um, but it's the same, really? same concept. I mean, it's a layer upon layer of voyeurism. Um, have you been in touch with Gerald Foos since the screening? Since oh, he saw have it? I been in touch no, with Gerald? No, but since he saw the film. Yeah, I say today, I, I mean, I don't have to call him or call me, but many people call me. And, and now, now it's sort of sad because you see, I'm on another story now. I've been, the last two years, I've been very engrossed in another story. So the stories take over my life. I'm not saying I'm like an actor, but I think of actors, great actors. I saw Brian Cranston in a movie recently, and I think of all the characters he played, or it could be, it could be any actor. And the actor becomes a part of the film, or the part he's playing, who she's playing. And then they play another part. And that's sort of what I do. I'm, I'm in so, I'm, the, I'm a nudist in this film, because in 1970, in order to write about nudity and obscurity, obscenity, I become, an, I, become a, I become a partner, I become a citizen of that world. And, I, and, what, and this, but now I'm doing something entirely different. And, the, and I feel I shouldn't leave the voyeur any more than the bridge builders or the mafia people or the, or the journalists that I wrote about in the book. On the, on the, I haven't broken with the New York Times people that I wrote about way back in 1969. So I'm both moving away and then holding on to the past. And the story, as I say, never ends. But I think in the case of our friend Gerald Foos, this is his one big event. And I think he doesn't want us ever to leave him, does he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or that camera of yours. Well, like you said, you know, he wanted to be discovered. And, and that's, that was the other fascinating thing about us yeah. wanting to, to document the, the journalist-subject relationship and looking at this idea of it's sort of a, a two-way seduction, you know, and, and Gerald... Sunset Boulevard, I'm ready for my profile, Mr. DeVille. <laughs> yeah. But, you, you know, did. Gerald Gerald, uh, Gerald wanted to be part of this process. Clearly, he sent Gay a, a, a fan letter and in, invited him to his secret lair, right. and it was, yeah, he was a very willing participant, uh, and... I think, as Gay puts, you know, wanted to either legitimize or at least redeem himself uh, in some bizarre way, which I obviously he's very confused and a bit deluded, but, you know, he had this, these kind of delusions of grandeur and he thought, here's, here's maybe a guy who can legitimize me. That was, I think, part of his attraction to, yes. to Gay. I mean, after we showed Gerald the film, he said he wanted us to make another film <laughs> about his collection. The baseball which, cards. Which we're not going to do, but it was very sweet that he wanted us to. As long as Anita's in it, yes. Let's give a round of applause to Anita. Scene stealer. Do you have anybody in the back? Okay, so the basic question. So, well... It's a, a, taking us kind of through the different changes in the film. That I, that's true. They, they, yeah. they, the film does change as it goes along. That's, that's an admirable quality of the film. The and, and the question is, what is it that made you react the way that you did to 
um, the revelation that he was not 100% truthful in his claims and the dates were off. And, think, and to disavow the book, the Paul Barton yeah. Oh, I was, as I say in, the, in my, um, in the, when I was on that television show, I overreacted. And I, I wish I had given myself a day or two before I talked to the Washington Post and said this is down the toilet because two days later I realized that even though the voyeur during those years was not, it's clear from the film, did not own, he had access to the place, but the, the Washington Post guy didn't tell me that and I didn't, I was so, I was so angry and embarrassed. Yes. And so I, I really, I really um, embarrassed myself, mm -hmm. and I was finally able to. I feel now uh, the, the book is true, yeah. but at that time, I wasn't sure, and I was very upset. Well, I mean, I, that that was one element I just wanted to point out of why we made the film we ended up making about gay, which was sort of our intention from the beginning, was after I, I met him while working at The New Yorker as a video producer, and, and then when Josh and I, and, and Tricia and our, our great DP, Chris, started wanting to make a film, what I found amazing about getting to know gay was that here is a writer who is a legend, a living legend who could easily have a biopic made of him, a, a best of, a, a, or, or highs and lows, you know, all, all that stuff. But what was so exciting was that there was an opportunity to follow a present day narrative yes. of, a, of a writer who's already a legend, but who's still amazingly not going through the motions, not resting on his laurels, but as curious, I, I believe, as, as he was when he was 25 or when you see him on Donahue, I mean, the, the, the guy is driven by, by his passion for his work and mm -hmm. that's what was exciting to us about we can, we can tell a present day unfolding narrative mm -hmm. about a writer at work before you know what's gonna happen right. and follow it through its conclusion is a very different thing than, than looking back on every, all the chapters that have been closed in history yeah. and say, well, here's what happened here and here's how I felt about it. And you know, it made it made for obviously some more some difficult scenes and seeing Gay go through some of these challenges. But that's what was sort of so intriguing to us, especially the fact that this story in particular, the the voyeur story, was a natural way to tie back in Gay's earlier career because this wasn't just some random story he stumbled upon five five years ago. This this was something tied to him at the height of his career yes. that he had stuck with. And so it was kind of, felt like a nice way to both be in the present and also echo the past. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was, while it was really tough, it was fascinating to see Gay dealing with some of these uh, accusations and, and the sort of the final, final third of the movie where, where Gay's being accused of these things and, and has to kind of navigate his way through it. Um, anyways, just. Wanted to make that point. Yeah. yeah. That's a very interesting question. question. Uh, this is a question about Gerald Pruce's varying reactions to, 
different, at different moments in the movie, but specifically to the fact that he reacted so negatively, um, or so unhappily, I should say, to things that he saw in print, um, uh, but then so happily to the TV show appearance and to the film itself. And why is it that people re react differently to things that are written about them as opposed to things that are said about them where they're seeing them before their eyes? Well, I mean, I think, Interesting. I mean, I, that's a good question. I'm not totally sure, but I, I think that maybe the, 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 I think Gerald's negative reaction came mostly from the Denver Post article, which was, 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 was very cold in its, in its writing and, and, and hard and, and, and he, there was no empathizing with him as a character is, or, or understanding him. Or just context, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the context you need. Um, and I think that he read all those lines and, and kind of reacted negatively. There's also this, you know, there's a strange thing that happens when it's this local paper and, and when, it, when it hits the local newsstand, it feels more personal in a way than like a national paper does. Um, and I, I feel like maybe it felt closer to home, and, and maybe like those stories were invading his home in a way that the New Yorker, although a hum obviously a humongous magazine, but you know we went to we went to the, 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 the bookstore to find the New Yorker, and it wasn't we couldn't we could barely find a copy. So it's 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 but the Denver Post, as Gerald says, everyone reads the Denver Post. Um, so it felt more close to home in a way. It's all over the it's all over the Twin Cities now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, I also, on more of a like, philosophical level, what I found, and we were all kind of bracing to see what we would witness in this moment, but in sort of, you know, thinking about um, Janet Malcolm's Journalist and the Murder, Journalist which this is murder, not, yeah. but there, there was, it was certainly interesting to reference that book, and she focuses on this sort of world of, of kind of pre and post publication and, and and that goes for the written word but also goes for our experiences documentary makers is it's true you enter into this sort of mutual trust and uh, sense of, of needing something from from each other and and there is sort of you know she writes about the, the kind of shock that a subject can feel at the moment when something is public and, and they sort of are a bit disoriented about what their role is or maybe even was and that maybe they weren't really in control. And as Gay points out, if you were in control, this would be an illegitimate work. You, you, it, there has to be a separation, but I think that that separation gets very blurred during the reporting process, but it's suddenly crystal clear the second the words are printed on the page, or I think, you know, if this had not been about a movie about a book and Gerald watched this as the first uh, external visualization of him, he may have reacted the same way about us showing his baseball card collection. I think he had a few, few rounds to kind of get some of that shock out, but I think that's also what we're capturing in that that's amazing scene uh, is, is him being disoriented and trying to, in sort of, needing to gain some control and lashing out at Gay, who he, he feels owes him something or that they had some sort of understanding that, that Gay would write only this kind things about him or wouldn't talk about certain things. And so it's, it was an interesting, just raw moment that I think spoke a lot to that sticky and sort of complex relationship. In all nonfiction, 
in all nonfiction, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, in this case, it was to, uh, to Gay's quote, quotes in the Denver Post, but it, it could have easily been to, I think, a nonfiction film, too. So. Um, I think we have to wrap it up for the minute, but I really want to thank you for thank bringing you so us this. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.